And then we're going to dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, as we go to your Word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray your blessing upon everyone who's here tonight. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Bless every family, every marriage, every home. Pray your healing touch upon those who are hurting. And Lord, be glorified. We want to leave here more in love with you than the way that we came. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. So we, last week we, we, we stepped away from Kings for, a week, for a, one study. So I'm going to give you a little background again on Kings as we're getting towards the end of it. We've got three, four chapters left, including tonight. And as we know, Kings, sadly, it began with King Solomon. And King Solomon, as we know, was the wisest man who ever lived. But it still shows you how frail men are because he still wasn't all that wise compared to God. Can I get an Amen. And he made some horrible choices. He had a problem. He had a thousand women. That's a big problem. Amen. He, he, he brought in all the false gods of all the women that he married. And because of that, the kingdom was ripped from Solomon through the line of David. But God was faithful to, his, to what he promised David. And they were allowed to hang on to Judah, the two southern tribes. As we fast forward, we've seen all the kings in Israel were wicked. As we come to tonight's chapter, Israel has been in captivity and carried away and occupied by the Assyrians for over a hundred years already. And now all that's left is Judah. And if you were here two weeks ago, we looked at a man by the name of, a king by the name of Manasseh. Was he a good guy? Did anybody, was anybody here for that? Because it shouldn't be hard. That How was Manasseh? Was he a good guy? He was wicked. He was as wicked as they come. We talked about Manasseh, and I tell the message provoking God to anger. And even though he was raised in a godly home and taught the truth, he chose his fleshly desires, and uh, he rebelled against the true and living God by resetting up all the false gods his dad had taken down. Hezekiah was his father. He was a godly man. Put all the false gods back up. He even offered his children to Molech. His children were burnt alive. Some of his children, he sacrificed them. He also had uh, temple prostitutes in the temple, worshiping the goddess of sex. I mean, what a complete and total disaster. He'd gotten so far away from the Lord. He was as wicked as they came. We know that his grandfather was a well-known prophet. Who was that? Isaiah. And most believe, it's not in the Bible written down, but uh, some history says that it was Manasseh who had his grandfather sawn in two, because no doubt Isaiah was all over him for the choices he was making. So Manasseh, what blew us away was all the wickedness we saw saw in him. And it's not in Kings, but when you get to Chronicles, we see that he repents and God forgives him. And that should be a word of encouragement for all of us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen. And we're going to meet Manasseh in heaven one day. I'm fully convinced of that, even though he lived a very wicked and perverse life. I will say this, though. He missed out on a lot by living an ungodly life. You know, again, the consequences would remain, and we'll see that in tonight's chapter. So as we pick up tonight's chapter, in chapter 22, uh, grab your outline. We'll take a look at it. I titled the message, A Growing Walk While Living in a Lost World, because here we are, And we've seen what Manasseh was doing. And then remember Ammon, his son came after him. And if you remember Ammon, he only reigned for two years. And while Manasseh repented, 
Ammon did everything his father did, and he didn't repent. And he only reigned for two years, and then he was assassinated. And after he was assassinated, his son, Josiah, is going to take his place. And Josiah, if I had another son, and if I have any more grandsons, I'm going to encourage Josiah for a name, because I love Josiah. I love someone who stands for God when seemingly nobody else is. I love someone, that's why I like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I love Daniel, I love people like that, Joseph, who make a stand for God when nobody else will. And Josiah is going to go contrary to his wicked and vile father and grandfather, and he's going to be a godly man in the midst of a lost world. And we're going to learn from his example. So the first thing we're going to see it's doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, not the eyes of the world or your unsaved family and friends. You know what? We want to please God and no one else. Amen? Now look, if I please God, I'll be a better husband, a better father, a better grandpa, a better pastor, a better uh, employee. All those things fall into place. But loving God comes first. He must be the priority and the passion of our lives. The Lord wants to do a good work through you. Do, you. do you believe that the Lord wants to use you? You need to know that he wants to use you. And you need to know that divine appointments are going to come your way every day if you will just say, Lord, here I am, use me. So doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And by the way, we're all accountable for our own walk. We need not worry about anybody else's. Let's just be faithful to do what God's called us to do. Number two, our walk with the Lord should grow stronger over time. This is sad that in the church today, you'll meet people that have been saved for decades. And I know people like this that I've known for 30 years and they're still in the same place spiritually that they were 30 years ago. They're still just kind of on the fringe. Yeah, I go to church once in a while, but my passion is my business or my passion is athletics or my passion is my hobby or my passion is the stock market or whatever it is. And I'm not even saying those things in and of themselves are wrong, but when they're more important than God, they are wrong. And when they become the priority of your life, they are wrong. And so we're going to see in Josiah's example at age 16, he, he becomes king at age eight. I wouldn't mind like an eight-year-old president right about now. I think that'd be an upgrade. <laughs> Just saying. But at 16, he deepened his commitment to the Lord. At 20, he removes all the false idols and returns to true worship. And at 26, he begins to rebuild the temples. Here's what we're seeing in Josiah. Each year that goes by, he's falling more in love with the Lord. And by the way, all of this takes place before he's ever read the Bible. We're going to see the, the word being rediscovered tonight, and that's one of the points we're going to make. But so as believers, our prayer should be that we're closer to the Lord this year than we were last year, and we're closer to the Lord next year than we are this year. Amen? And guys, that doesn't just happen because you get old. A lot of times people say, well, the elders in the church, everybody thinks it's the oldest people. Well, it can be, but I've met people that are in their 20s that are more spiritually mature than people that are in their 80s. Amen? So it's all about where you are with the Lord. Our walk with the Lord should grow stronger and stronger. Number three, rediscovering the Word of God. It's not enough to know the Word of God exists. It's not enough to have 12 of them in your house. It's not enough to have good enough to have one on your nightstand by your bed at night. I, I, or you can't put it under your pillow and catch it through osmosis. Amen? What we need to do is open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? 
And it's hard sometimes to get the Bible open. Sometimes we're tired. We're weary after a long day. It's easier just to put a TV show on. But the Lord would have us to be people of his word. It's not enough to know the word exists. We need to spend time in it. In too many Christian homes and churches, the word is not a priority. There are churches today. I've been doing this lately, just picking up random churches in our area and while I'm driving between appointments, put on a Sunday sermon. And I'm not trying to be critical at all. I don't want to be critical. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But my heart breaks, and I don't know, Lord, give me wisdom in knowing how to reach out to some of these people. I want to take them to lunch and encourage them. Hey, I listened to your series. I listened to three sermons, and in three sermons, you quoted one Bible verse. Guys, there needs to be more of God's word and less of our words. Amen? The word of God needs to be rediscovered in a lot of churches, and it may need to be rediscovered in your house. Amen? We need to get back into the word of God. We neglect the word of God, we will fall away from the God of the word. Discover it again, open it, read it, obey it. Number four, ask God to speak to you through his word. You know, the Bible, it's, uh, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Reading and hearing the word of God will do a spiritual work in you. It will convict you of your sin. It will drive you to repentance. It will direct you in the way that you should live your life. People call me, and I love, and I love counseling, and I love, not that I have all the answers, I just know the one who does, amen? And, but at the same time, I'll talk to people. One of the things I'll ask people often is, tell me about your devotional life. Well, I don't really... I don't have one. Tell me about your prayer life. Well, I, you know, I, I really, did, tell me who you're, you know, who, who are you discipling and who's discipling you? Well, really, not really anybody. And then they're like, and I don't understand why my life's a mess. Well, you just told me why your life's a mess. You don't spend time with the Lord. You don't have a prayer life. You don't have any accountability. You're not being discipled. You're not using your gifts. And then you wonder why you're struggling. Christianity's not for the Lone Ranger. Amen? We need to be in the Word. We need to be in fellowship. The Lord will use spiritual leaders also to speak to you from His Word, through His Word as well. We're going to see that in tonight's text. It's okay to pick up the phone and call someone that's more spiritually mature than you when you have a question. It's okay to, to have those conversations. Those are wonderful things. That's iron sharpening iron. That's good for us. And we can agree to disagree on secondary issues. Can I get an amen to that? If it doesn't, you know, change who Jesus is, if it's a secondary issue, we shouldn't divide over it. And then finally, a growing walk while living in the lost world. Know that God is always faithful to his word. That's wonderful if you're saved. It's scary if you're not. Amen? And I have people, co-workers who are afraid, and I try to be loving, but here's what I've been telling them. Like, I'm just scared half to death about COVID. Why aren't you? Can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? You can't threaten me with heaven. The worst thing the world could do to me. You know, since my son went to heaven, I thought, man, I should go plant a church in Afghanistan. I'm really thinking, you know, let me go plant a Calvary Chapel in Afghanistan and go door to door and witness the Taliban until they shoot me and I'll be in heaven. Amen? We have nothing to be afraid of. But the world's afraid. You know why? Because they should be afraid. I have coworkers say, well, I'm afraid. I go, well, you should be. You don't know Jesus, bro. Get saved. You won't have to be afraid anymore. Oh, what are you you talking about? You really think I'm going to hell? I said, I don't don't determine anything, but when you stand before God, do you know him? Or do you just know about him? 
He's also illustration a lot when I was a youth pastor. I know a lot about Michael Jordan, basketball player, right? Played in North Carolina. I know that he you know, won six NBA titles, or was it seven, whatever. Well, he won titles. He played baseball for a while, wasn't very good at it. But, uh, you know, I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I could tell you things about him. Played for Chicago Bulls, number 23, all that. I get an elevator with Michael Jordan. He's got no idea who I am. I'd be like, hey, Michael. He'd be like, don't know you, bro. Probably ignore me or have his guys push me out of the way. Here's the thing. There's people that know about God. Wrote a best-selling book. Amen. <laughs> right? Sent his son to die. Rose from the dead. Christmas is his birthday. Easter, we're celebrating his resurrection. Good Friday when he died on the cross. But when they stand before him on judgment day, he's going to say, depart from me, for I know you not. Amen? And so the world is afraid, and it should be. And as believers, we need not fear. But our heart should be for those who are lost. Amen? So God is faithful to his word, both to redemption and forgiveness for those who repent, but also for righteous judgment for those who reject him. And God loves a tender heart. We're going to see that in tonight's text. He loves a tender and a humble heart. We're going to see that. So let's begin there looking at a growing walk while living in a lost world, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Begin there in verse one. So the last chapter ended, Amnon, Amnon is dead Ammon is dead. He's been assassinated. His son Josiah is taking his place as king. Verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, and the daughter of Adadiah of Bozkoth. So Josiah was eight years old. Here we have another uh, boy king, and this typically happens when someone's been assassinated. Rarely are there children this young when they die of natural causes. It can happen. But usually, and we didn't see a lot of assassinations in Judah. We saw a ton of them in Israel. Remember, Israel did not have one godly king. Zero. Evil king, evil king. Starting with Ahab and Jezebel, and just every king was evil and perverse. And God finally brought righteous judgment. In Judah, we've seen wicked kings, but we've seen some godly kings like Hezekiah and now Josiah. So he's only eight years old. And he became a king at such a young age, again, because of the assassination of his father. And his father was a wicked man who only ruled for two years. You could say he was, don't have the details, but almost as wicked as Manasseh. It says he did all the things his father did, his father's Manasseh. But Manasseh repented and Ammon didn't. So Josiah was raised, at least early in his life, seeing his father be a wicked, vile king. And maybe even earlier in his life, if he could remember it, Manasseh being a wicked king as well. So this is what he's been seeing as a young boy. That's the example that he's been given. It's like a young child maybe who grows up in a house where the parents are alcoholics or, or have anger issues or struggle, and they just fight all the time. And all they've ever seen is their parents throwing stuff at each other and going after each other. And that's what they grow up with. And they don't see anything other than that. And they don't even know what a house looks like. And, and maybe the dad takes off or whatever. And they're growing up in this environment where when you talk about marriage, that's what they think of. Well, when you talked about a king, that's all Josiah had seen. Was two evil kings. And he was related to both of them. One of them being his father. In spite of it all, 
Josiah did not follow in his father's evil footsteps. In fact, Josiah would instead be the fulfillment of a prophecy given over 300 years earlier. Let me read it to you. I love when the Bible is, is this specific. It is so good. So 300 years earlier, it's in 1 Kings chapter 13. You can read it later. It says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now you'll remember that Jeroboam, when he became king over Israel, what did he do? He put up altars to false gods in Bethel and in Dan, southernmost part and northernmost part of Israel, so that people wouldn't go to, to Jerusalem to worship because he didn't want them to go to Judah and stay in that kingdom. So he made worship easy and he set up these golden, eye, golden calves and the people began to worship these false gods. If we ever get to go back to Israel, the one in Dan is still there. And I've been there, I've taught this chap that chapter from that spot. And so they would go there and it's like easy faith, easy believism. You don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. You can just make church convenient. There's churches that advertise our entire service is 28 minutes. You know, we don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> Spend more time watching half a show on Netflix than that. We need to give God time. But this is what Jeroboam had done. And now this is being spoken out against. Now look what it says. Then he cried out against the altar, this man of God, by the word of God and said, oh, altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Now listen to this. Behold a child, Josiah by name, shall be born of the house of David and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign of the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes shall be poured out. He said, There's a man coming of, of the lineage of David, a king, his name's going to be Josiah, and he's going to take those altars. And he's going to take the priests who are making sacrifices on those altars and he's going to set them on fire and he's going to burn them to the ground. Well, 300 years later, here's eight-year-old Josiah, the fulfillment of God's prophecy from 300 years before. See, here's what happens. When you tell people that you're looking forward to the rapture, people say, well, people have been talking about Jesus coming back for 2,000 years. You know what that means? We're 2,000 years closer. <laughs> Amen? And guess what? When it happens... And this is what's finally happening with Josiah. When it happens, may it not take us by surprise. So Josiah, even as an eight-year-old boy, uh, the condemning the altar to King Jeroboam, turning God's people away from true worship, worshiping golden calves, the judgment has come 300 years later, and his name was given by God as the one that God would use. Now, even though our names may not be written down anywhere, do you know that God knew before the foundation of the world how he was, wants to use you? And the opportunities and the ways he was going to use you in the lives of other people? And how if you would just be faithful, that God has a, a wonderful plan to use you in a mighty and a powerful way? I truly believe, this is just my opinion, I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see the opportunities and the blessings and the way God used us, and we'll be thankful for that. And I have an idea we might see some of the stuff we missed out on. Amen? We're not going to the great white throne judgment because we've already been saved. 
But we're going to the Bema Seat Judgment where we will be rewarded for what we have done, but we may also get a sign of things we could have done, how we obeyed the Lord. And I think about that day often. I think it's too, it'll be too late to change it then, but it's not too late to change it now. We can do it now. We can honor the Lord. God had a plan and a calling upon Josiah's life, and it would not be thwarted by his wicked father. And so, too, the Lord wants to do a good work in you and through you, regardless of how you were, how you were raised. You've heard me say it a hundred times. One more won't hurt. God doesn't have any grandchildren. So you're not saved because your parents are saved, and you're not evil because your parents are evil. Amen? And instead, each of us is accountable for our own walk with the Lord. And I'm not downplaying that sometimes the way we were raised has brought some harm to us. I'm not downplaying that. And I'm not downplaying that, you know, if we have godly parents, that that can be a great blessing to us. But ultimately, we are accountable for how we respond. And here we have a young man who's an example for some of us who may have grown up with an, an ungodly parent or in a tough situation. And we're going to see that this young man was used in a mighty and a powerful way. Verse 2 says there, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. I love this. I can think of no, can, can there be anything better said about anyone than he did what was right or she did what was right in the eyes of the Lord? That she obeyed God. He obeyed God. The God had a, had a calling on his life and he fulfilled it. She had a calling on her life and she fulfilled it. And that's what was said of Josiah. Notice it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, not in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of his wicked father. You know, some of the people that were worshiping idols were angry, no doubt, when Josiah, as we will see later in the chapter, starts tearing all the idols down again, starts forbidding it, starts wiping it all out. There's going to be some that are going to be angry with him. Guys, if you stand for the Lord, God will stand with you and much of the world will stand against you. Amen? So there will be opposition if you make a stand for the Lord. And sometimes you might find that you're the only one standing. It is only how God sees us that really matters. While this was a, uh, true of Josiah at his young age, it is really more intended as a general description of his entire reign as king. As an eight-year-old, Okay, he was doing what was right inside of the Lord, but as he continues to grow older, we're going to see him growing more and more in love with the Lord and being more and more faithful to do what God has called him to do. He's going to be the last of the good kings. There aren't, there aren't going to be any more. This is it. He's the last one. We're going to see four more kings through the rest of the book, and they're all going to be evil. They're all going to be wicked. Second Kings doesn't record this, but it tells us something happened when he was 16. In Second Chronicles 34, it tells us this. For in the eighth year of his reign, so when he was 16 years old, so he started reigning when he was eight, the eighth year of his reign, it says, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, so when he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all its high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So at 16, he starts pursuing God with his whole heart. At 20, after four years of walking with the Lord, he begins to destroy all the false idols, no doubt with great opposition, but he's doing it anyway because he's more concerned with being faithful to God than popular with the world. Josiah's walking relationship with the Lord grew stronger and stronger over time, as should each and every one of ours. How many of you 
could be more spiritually mature than you are? Notice my hands up, okay? How many of us could continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord? Amen. Now, you're as close to God as you want to be. Amen. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? God didn't move, you did. Amen. So we're either drawing closer to the Lord or we're falling away from the Lord and it's entirely up to us. So point number one there, a growing walk while living in a lost world, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, not the eyes of the world. The Lord wants you wants to do a good work in you and through you. We're all accountable for our own walks with the Lord. It says he walked in the, the ways of his father. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I love that. He walked the straight and narrow. He walked the path that God had carved out for him. Guys, you can't walk the path God has carved out for you if you don't know what it is. And you're not going to know what it is if you don't spend time with him. If you don't spend time in the word, if you don't spend time in prayer, if you don't cry out to the Lord, direct my every step, if you don't walk in intimate fellowship with God, if you're not hearing from the Lord, God's always speaking to us. Sometimes we're just not listening. Point number two, again, our walk with the Lord should grow stronger over time. So we've already began to see the example, and we're going to see it as he gets older, how the closer and closer he gets to the Lord. Now, just for a side for a moment, the perfect example of this in my life was my dad. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. My dad was the most godly man I've ever met. My dad loved his wife more than I've ever seen a man love his wife. He was hardworking, disciplined man. He was CEO of a company and pastoring a church of a thousand people at the same time. Uh, I wonder, working full-time, where did I get that, right? But the reality is that I had a front row seat to my dad. And I saw him in his worst moments and his best moments. And you know what? He was the same man at home that he was in the pulpit. He was the same man when he went into people's homes. He was the same. I went and worked at his company in the summers when I was in high school and in college. And the man that ran that company was the same man that I lived with at home. And you know, when my dad was blind, he had dementia and he went blind at the end of his life. And he was still, he took the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. slot. And he would go in there blind, answering phone calls from people who had questions about the Lord. It's called JesusAnswers.com or something like that. And they would call and he would pick up the phone and he'd be leading people to the Lord when he was blind. And I remember just a few months before he passed away, I was visiting him in Hawaii. We're sitting around the table and I'm, some one of these days I'm going to show the video. It's like seven minutes long. And he just quotes the entire book of Ephesians from memory. And he's talking to us about what a joy it is and what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. And my dad, whenever he would talk about the Lord, whenever he would read the Bible, he would weep. We would call him the weeping prophet because he would always weep. And I thought, what a godly man. The point I'm making is that I saw him for the first 50 plus years of my life. And my dad was closer to the Lord every year than the year before. And I aspire to do the same. Amen. Guys, we can do that. We can draw closer to the Lord. And my dad never retired from being, you know, he just, even when he couldn't see anymore, he obviously couldn't drive anymore. He couldn't do things anymore. And he was faithful. And let, let, it, let it be said of all of us. And I hope we all know some people like that that we can pattern our life after. So our walk with the Lord should go stronger. We're going to see Josiah's example. Let's begin there in verse 3. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So he was eight, so now he's 26, right? So he's 26 years old. That the king sent 
Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Zila, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hekeliah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought to the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Then he says in verse 5, And let them deliver it unto the hands of those doing the work, who are overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the house, and those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house. The carpenters and the builders and the masons, and, and to buy timber and hewn stone and repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Then, then Halkah, the high priest, said to Shephan the scribe, I have, now, we'll go back to that. So let's stop there, verse 7. So here's what's happening. First, we know that, we saw in the previous verses, that at 16, he really was pursuing God. Then we saw that at 20, he began to tear down all the false idols in the land, tore them all down, destroy them, we know from Chronicles, began to put to death all the high priests of these false gods, eliminated them, wiped them out, righteous judgment. Now at 26, he recognizes that the temple has been defiled and needs to be rebuilt. Now remember what Manasseh did to the temple. He turned it into a brothel. They were worshiping false gods by having orgies in the temple. And finally, the king comes along and says, this is ridiculous. And the money that was given, instead of taking it for himself, what the king could have done, he said, let's take everything that's been given and let's use it to rebuild the house of the Lord. See, what's happening is Josiah is growing spiritually. First, he recognized and had a heart to know God better. Then he tore down all the false idols. Now he's rebuilding the house of God. Still only 26 at this point. He's still a young man, and God is using him in a mighty and a powerful way. In 2 Chronicles, repairing the temple was preceded by a, a definite commitment to God, again at age 16, and the purge of idolatry at age 20. Josiah recognized the evil in the kingdom and removed it. He returned Judah to the true worship of the living God. Remember, all those altars were built all over, including the ones Jeroboam built, and he took them all down. Now, I've told you this, and, and this is why I will never be president. If I was in charge tomorrow, I would bulldoze every building to every false god the next day. And everybody would go, we have the freedom of religion. No, we have the freedom of truth. We're getting rid of all the nonsense. That's exactly what Josiah did. He took them all down. We've been worshiping there for 20 years. Well, it's false worship. It's demonic. It's coming down. And he took it down. The priests that stood for the false gods, he put them to death. People go, well, that's gnarly. You know what's gnarlier? People leading people away from the true and living God. Amen. Amen? People leading people into an eternity separated from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Guys, it isn't, it isn't, it's demonic. It's ungodly. Amen? The people that knock on your door might be really nice people, and they might be very sincere. And I'm always kind and loving to them, and Jesus loves them, but we need to love them enough to tell them the truth. Amen? Because they're sincere, but they're sincerely lost. And Josiah is like, look, we're tearing it down, and we're going to rebuild God's temple. 
We're going to recapture it from the days of being turned into a brothel and false gods being worshipped there. And we're going to restore true worship. And you know what needs to happen in our country? We need to restore true worship. And we need to start having you know, people in public positions that aren't afraid of the gospel and aren't ashamed of our Savior anymore. We need to get the Bible back into schools or send your kids to school. They let them have the Bible. Amen? And we need to get back to focusing on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what Josiah did. I'd love to have Josiah's president right about now. Amen? See, Josiah did more than recognized the need, he invested time and resources to glorify God. Here's what happens with a lot of Christians. We see a need and we'll even think about it for a minute. And I want to say this, not every, not every need equates to a calling for you. You can drive home tonight and drive by 75 needs and it doesn't mean you're supposed to fulfill them all. When I was a young Christ, when I was a, a young pastor, I should say, when I was a youth pastor, I would volunteer for everything. And at one point, I was teaching five times a week when I was in my early 20s, and I had four kids at home, and, you know, and a wife, and a job 72 miles away, and, and oh, we don't have anybody to teach them in. I'll do it. We don't have anybody to do that. I'll do it. We need someone in the children's ministry. I'll do it. And the reality is that it's real easy to do that, because you just see a need, and you say, well, if they need help, I'll do it. But the reality is, and I'll say this, a burden is a spawning ground of a calling, if God gives you a burden for something, here's how you know you're called. If you can do something else, go do it because you're not called. If you're called to do it, it's going to wake you up at night. If you're called to do it, you, you don't want to do anything else. Paul said, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. And God will give you a burden to be the head of the helps ministry, to start a drug and alcohol ministry, to serve in the children's ministry, to help with uh, you know, the live stream, whatever it is. But as God gives you a burden to do it, it's always a get to, not a have to. Amen coming early and setting up the chairs. These are callings that, if, look, if everybody is faithful to do what they're called to do, the church will be blessed. But what happens is, if people don't do what they're called to do, the church is missing out. Amen? Look, you have gifts, and you may be the only person in the building that has it, and God wants to use you. And we want to encourage you to use the gifts you've been given. And so the exhortation here is that in Josiah's life, it was more than just saying, well, yeah, we need to do that. He did something about it. Hey, there's a need there. Let's go fix it. Let's take the money that's given it and let's rebuild the temple. You know what? All this false idol worship is ungodly. Let's tear, all the, let's tear it all down. And it all happened because he started having a relationship with the Lord. Guys, if you want to hear God speak to you, you got to spend time with him so you will recognize his voice. Notice he calls for Shaphan. We only see this person listed twice in the whole Bible. This man is used mildly by God. He's only mentioned here and in Chronicles about this exact same uh, circumstance going on. He's a scribe. He's one of those unsung heroes in the Bible. You don't even recognize his name. But if you look for it, he pops up in the Word. And only here and again in 2 Chronicles. Uh, people like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and several others come up later, and they're all descendants of this man. We're going to see throughout Scripture, uh, like I said, in, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Ezekiel, I'll give you a couple of examples. It says, nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that they could not give him the hand to the people to put him to death. So one of his sons protected Jeremiah's life. 
Here's this godly man mentioned once in scripture. We don't know a lot about him, but we look at his sons. In Jeremiah 36, it says, when Micaiah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Shaphan, it's his grandson, heard all the words of the Lord from the book, another man was sensitive enough to the Lord to realize that Jeremiah was speaking for the Lord. He said, look, this is God's man, and we need to hear what he has to say. And it's this man, Shaphan's grandson. Another descendant was appointed governor by Nebuchadnezzar after the Babylonians uh, had taken over and brought, you know, God used them to bring judgment. It says, Gadadiah, the son of Hikam, the son of Shaphan, so he's a grandson, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had left. So Shaphan is one of these people you don't pay much attention to, but he seems to have a large influence behind the scenes. And I love this. To be honest, Shaphan was probably known as a very important person in Josiah's day, yet to us, we hardly bother bother with him. We pass right over him. Yet the closer we look, the more we realize the impact this man's life had. Guys, we don't need to be well-known by men. We just need to be faithful to God. And there are all kinds of people that don't have a lot of references in the word of God that were used mildly by God. There's some people whose names aren't even mentioned. We see God use them when their names aren't even mentioned. And you know what? We just want to be tools in the hands of the master. And however he wants to use us, let him use us for his kingdom and for his glory. May we be good and godly influences. Then it says there, as you keep reading, so Shaphan, he sends him, he brought him to the house of the Lord. He goes up to see the high priest and they uh, are to gather up the money and they're delivered to the builder. So during the reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, the temple had begun to fall in disrepair along with everything else that was happening to it. The money is now going to be used again to take care of the repairs. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things you invest in, now look, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we never pass an offering where God guides, God provides, and God takes great care of this church. Amen? That being said, this also can be equally true. I could say a lot about you and a lot about me, and I could find out what your priorities are by looking in your checkbook. And it got real quiet in here. (laughs) Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things you invest in will, will, will show where your heart is. Where do you invest your time, your talents, and your resources? If, you're tra- if you've got a heart for the things of God, you'll invest in the things of God. And I'm talking not just about your resources, but also your time and the talents and the gifts that God has given you. So here we see the heart of Josiah, where he's saying, look, let's take all the money that comes in and let's use every bit of it to rebuild the temple. That's God's house. We need to fix it. It's in disrepair. You know what? The church in America today is in disrepair in a lot of places, and it needs to be rebuilt. Jo- uh, Josiah understand that the work of repairing or building the temple needed organization and funding. He paid attention to both of those needs when he commanded Hilkiah to begin the work in the temple. According to Jeremiah 1 verses 1 and 2, the prophet Jeremiah was the son of this priest Hilkiah. So Jeremiah began his ministry during the reign of King Josiah. So during the reign of King Josiah is when Jeremiah begins his ministry. And Jeremiah is younger at the time, so Hilkiah is the high priest Jeremiah is a prophet and he sends, now notice he looks for godly counsel. 
He asks godly people to get involved and to help them do the work of the Lord. Again, as believers, we shouldn't try to do it all on our own. We should encourage others to use the gifts that they've been given. If you've been going to church any length of time, you know that the pastors here, we want to give as much ministry away as possible. When I'm out of town, our pastors teach. Why? I want people to grow. Amen? And we got more and more people that are gifted. We want you all to use your gifts. We want to give you every opportunity to use your gifts. You go to some churches, the same three people do everything and everybody else is a spectator. I don't want you to be spectators. I want you to be in the ministry. Amen? Go from being, you know, just being ministry to being ministers. Amen? And here he is. He's enlisting people and he's giving them direction and he's using the word of God to point them in the right way. So our walk with the Lord should go stronger every time. Again, at 16, deepened walk. At 20, purified, uh, purified Judah by removing the false idols and return to true worship. And now he's beginning to build the house of the Lord. He's got to focus on eternal. Verse number three, rediscovering the word of God. Now watch this. Then Hilkiah, he's the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe. What does a scribe do? Write stuff down. What's one of the things he's supposed to be making copies of? The Bible. Amen? That's one of the things he's supposed to be doing, making copies of the Bible. But here's what's sad. Look what happens. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hokiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. This guy's a scribe and he's never read the Bible. He found the book. It doesn't sound like they had a lot of them. It sounds like he found the only one they had left. It sounds like they had gotten so caught up in idolatry that the Bible, now this time the Bible would be the Septuagint, the Law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the Word of God up to this point. The Bible's still being written, obviously, but the Word of God had the standards. And here's what happened. The Word of God got lost. And guess what happened to the country? fell apart. And when the word of God is getting lost in our country, we shouldn't be surprised that we're falling apart. Amen? You know where you can get a free Bible? In prison. You know where you can't have one? In school. If we put them in school, we wouldn't have as many people in prison. Can I get an amen to that? Help. We wait till they're a mess. Why don't we help them beforehand? And so he gives them the book. And Shaphan, he reads it. Oh, wow. This is kind of cool. Never read this before. Kind of sad. When the high priest and the guy who's supposed to be transcribing scripture have never read it, there's a problem. Amen? Now, let's keep reading. Look at what it says there. By the way, the book of the law, again, as I said, is the Septuagint. And sadly, there are many churches today that do not teach, study, or reference God's word. I call those religious country clubs. and mine would be called the Elks Club, right? So, they're beginning this restoration work in the temple, and they didn't say how they found it, but they're going through it. And you do know that with the Ark of the Covenant, there was also always supposed to be, there was a slot on the side of the Ark of the Covenant where the law was supposed to be. Now, there's the Ten Commandments inside the Ark, but outside of it was supposed to be a copy of the law, copy of the, of the Bible, the law of Moses, okay? And so it could have been when they finally were going through the temple to restore it, they went, oh, hey, what is this? Oh, we found the book. He gives it to the scribe. The scribe reads it. Now, we know this from Deuteronomy. 
The neglect could only happen because Judah was prolonged in disobedience. That's why they didn't know where the word was. In Deuteronomy, it tells us that each king was to have a personal copy of the law and he was to read it. There's some portions where it says the king was supposed to handwrite his own copy. By the way, I love writing down. You know, if you guys don't notice, I handwrite my notes. I'm old school that way. I handwrite my notes. I don't use a computer. I handwrite my notes. And I love handwriting my notes because for me, it helps me learn it even more. I just, I have buddies that cut and, cut and paste the scripture and they just slide it in there. It takes them 10 seconds. It takes me 10 minutes to handwrite out a long portion of scripture, but I like to write it because it helps me learn it. And the, and the king was supposed to have his own handwritten copy that he wrote for himself and that he could carry around and have it with him everywhere he went. And the word of God has disappeared because they're worshiping Molech and burning their children to false gods and having temple prostitutes and worshiping Asheroth and all these other false gods. And because of that, they've all forgotten about the word. And then finally Josiah says, go fix the temple and they find it. They're dusting everything off. Oh, well, what's this? So he hands it to Shaphan, the, the scribe who was sent there by the king to go tell Hokiah, go rebuild the temple, take the money. Give it to the craftsman. And he, and he hands him the book. In Deuteronomy 31, it tells us the entire law was to be read to the assembly of the nation every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles to keep the law before people. So the Levites were to be teaching it on a regular basis. And then every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to all gather together the entire nation and they were to read the entire book of the law in front of all the people so they would not forget it. Obviously, all those things have fallen by the wayside, and they've fallen by the wayside because they don't have the word of God. It seems remarkable to me, to me that he read it, and it was, and, and was even worthy of a mention that he read it because it tells me they hadn't been reading it before. It was surprising. Oh, and he found it, and he read it. He found the word the scribe read it. It shows just how neglected the word of God had become among the people of Judah, again, because of all the idol worship. So let's read on there. It says in verse uh, 9, he says, I found the book in the house of the Lord. And Elkai gave the book to Shaphan, he read it. So Shaphan and the scribe went to the king. The scribe went to the king and bringing the king word, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shophan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkah, the priest, has given me a book. If you found the Bible, I think that should be the first thing you say. <laughs> By the way, we gathered up all the money. We hired some people. We got some contractors coming in. We got some brass guys. We got people working on the gold. We got people rebuilding everything. Oh, by the way, Hilkiah gave me a book. That's what it says. Read it. Gave me a book. This is not, again, I said it on Sunday. This is not a book written by men about God. This is a book written about, by God about men and about God. Can I get an amen to that? God wrote this. This is God's book. Amen? It's actually 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it. So he found the Bible. He found the letter from the creator of the universe, and he talks about everything else, and then says, oh yeah, and Hilkiah gave me a book. Charlotte's Web, I'm, what did he give you, bro? <laughs> right? He gave you a book. Give me the book, the word of God, amen? Again, 
We know in Deuteronomy that that book was placed alongside and and notice that it says, and then he, shows, he says to him, and Shofan read it before the king. So he said, here's the book. So he begins to read it to the king. So the scribe opens it, opens it up, and, no, and there's no other way to prove this, but I believe this is the case. Josiah's never heard the Bible before. He's been the king 18 years, and God's been moving on his heart by the Holy Spirit. He's been reminded maybe of you know, things from the Levites have told him, but now he's hearing the word of God for the first time. Maybe for some of you, you got saved later in life and you can remember the first time you really heard the word of God. You may have heard about the Bible, but that first time you really opened it up and you read it and you went, what in the world? It grabs your heart. Or Josiah is already being moved by the Lord. He's already got a relationship with the Lord. And now he gets a letter from the Lord. Amen? And it's being read to him. And I just imagine that his heart was skipping a beat as he listened to Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. God created man and the flood of Noah and God's righteous judgment. And just going through the whole Old Testament and just seeing all that the Lord had laid out before him and him hearing this as the king and finally understanding. No wonder the kings in the kingdom were such a mess. They were biblically illiterate. They were not worshiping the Lord. They had no relationship with him. God's word is a standard for all truth. And sadly, they had never even read it. A lot of churches today like this. See, he talked about the buildings and then the money and then the programs. You know, buildings, money, programs, potlucks, petting zoo at church, <laughs> thermometer on the wall, pack a few Tuesday, uh, the news, the, the late, whatever. All this stuff you do. And oh, by the way, some Bible. The word of God needs to be preeminent because it speaks of the God of the word who is preeminent. Can I get an amen to that? If you ever go to a church, here, I can tell a lot about a church. Look at the people walking in. Do they have Bibles? If they don't have Bibles, that'll tell you something about the church they're going to. Amen? I've told you that's why I don't put the Bible up on a screen. I'll never do it. Never do it. Santa, our church got to be 1,200 people. Santa, people, you know, it's to be, save a lot of money. I don't care. Buy, I don't care if we buy 1,200 Bibles every week. We're going to do that and give Bibles away because if you read it on a screen, you don't have it in your hands. If you don't have it in your hands, you're not going to read it when you get home. Amen? So, you know, it's kind of like the American Express card. Don't leave home without it. Don't leave home coming here without your Bible. Amen? We want you to read it. I want you to have your own copy. Open it, read it, obey it. And again, they were biblically illiterate. Now watch what happens. How is he going to respond? So the word of God's been rediscovered. It's been opened up and he's read it. He's heard it. Now what is the word of God going to do to the heart of the king? Point number four, ask God to speak to you through his word. And he is going to speak to Josiah. Look what it says in verse 11. Now what happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law? He tore his clothes. Now tearing your clothes during biblical times, what is that? a sign of, or what's going on? He's in mourning. He's grieving. He's heard what the word says, and he realizes how far they've gotten away from the word. He hears what the word says for the first time, and he recognizes all the wicked, vile things that have been done by his grandparents and his parents. Now, he'd already recognized some of that and tore some of those things down, but he's listening to the word going, you've got to be kidding me. We've been so far away for so long. And what it does, it just causes him to mourn. 
See, the word of God encourages us if we know him, exhorts us if we know him, it can comfort us if we know him, but it also brings judgment and brings uh, condemnation and rebukes those who are not walking with him. Amen? Those the Lord loves, he, he chastens or disciplines. Amen? So Josiah is hearing this, and obviously he has the right heart. Read it to me, read it to me. And he's hearing it, and he's, oh, no. And he's so heartbroken, he just rents his clothes and begins to mourn because they've gotten so far away from the Lord. You know what? Our country needs to mourn because we've gotten so far away from the Lord. Amen? We need to get back to being... When I was in school, we used to have Christmas programs. I'm old. We used to have Christmas programs that were all about Jesus. You had the wise men and angels and all in, in school. We pledged allegiance to the flag. We had Bibles that... I remember doing book reports on the Bible. I went to public school and did book reports on the Bible. It's totally fine. Not anymore. We're getting further away from the word of God. And we wonder why we're dealing with the struggles we are. For some of us, perhaps we've lost a little of the wonder that comes from reading the Bible for the first time. God still wants to show you things, some for the very first time. The Bible is living. It says again in Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Ask God to speak to you as you read your Bible. Open it up expecting him to speak. Pay attention. Discover his words. Sometimes it might shock us when we actually pay attention to what he says. It might even draw us to our knees to repent. So when we read the Word of God, again, as my good friend Pastor Rob McCoy says, it's the only book that not only do you read it, but it reads you. When you open the Bible, it's going to read you. It's going to expose what's going on in your life. And I'm thankful for that. How about you? I'm glad that it, that it ministers to us. Throughout the history of God's people, when the Word of God is recovered and spread, that's when revival follows. It can begin as simply as it did in the, the day of Josiah when one man finding and reading and believing the word of God. So we're going to see that one man was found by another man, but it read to the king and it's going to change everything. And God can change everything. That's why we love to give Bibles away. Well, people visit and they'll say, I don't have a Bible. Here, take this one. I think I have one. I don't care. Take that one. Take that one. Well, this is really nice. I'm glad. Read it. Amen. Take it. I want to give Bibles away. We want to get into the word of God's into people's hands. I'll give you one example. I put down four. We don't have time for them all. Here's one example. In the 12th century, in the 1100s, there was a man by the name of Peter Waldo. He was a rich merchant who gave up his business to radically follow Jesus. He hired two priests to translate the New Testament into a common language. And using this translated New Testament, he taught in the streets and wherever he could find someone to listen. Many common people came to hear him and started to radically follow the Lord. He taught them the text of the New Testament in the common language and was rebuked by church officials for doing so. You got to leave it in the original Greek and Aramaic and everybody talk blah, 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 with nothing they don't understand. And be real, you know, and sit and lean to the left, lean to the right, stand up, sit down, fight, 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 go home, learn nothing, right? And he's instead, he's opening it up and he's teaching them. They called, a, they called them Waldies or whatever, something like that. And all these people, what happened was they started getting saved radically, and then he sent them out two by two. And you know what it did? It radically impacted the entire nation by one guy taking the Bible 
having two priests transcribe it into a way that people could understand it. And then he taught all these people, they all memorized the entire New Testament. And they, were taught, they memorized most of the Old Testament. Hide God's word in your heart, you might not sin against him, amen? And God radically transformed a nation because one guy said, let's take the Bible, make it easier for people to understand, and let's go teach it to anybody who will listen. Guys, that's what needs to happen in our nation as well, amen? We need to get back to teaching the whole counsel of God. I've got a lot of other examples. There are great awakenings in the 1800s. And all, so many times the conviction of sin is special work of the Holy Spirit. And it comes by reading the word. See, without conviction, there can be no conversion. Until you see that you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a savior. Amen? You have to challenge someone says, when they say, I'm a good man. No, you're not. Yes, I am. How dare you? Okay. And let, let's, let's talk about it and go through the Ten Commandments. They'll find out they're stinking ball sinners just like us. But we've been born again, amen? Now watch what happens. He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shapham, Octor the son of Micaiah, Shapham the scribe, and Isaiah the servant of the king, saying, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people in all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according all that is written concerning us. He says, hey, I want you, he doesn't know what to do. He hears what the book says and he says, we've blown it. We have radically messed up. There's been generations, we've gone so far away from God. So he grabs all the priests and everyone says, go inquire the prophet and ask the prophet, what in the world can we do? I'm ripping my clothes. I don't know what to do. I need help. Guys, this is where we need to be sometimes, where we seek godly wisdom and godly counsel. Amen? I don't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. He says, go, go ask the prophets. Go find out. How do we fix this mess? I'll tell you what. When I witness to people and I see them like that, I know that God's got a hold of them. Amen? When they're in a place like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, when Peter would, they, they, what, what, what do we have to do to have eternal life? Can we be baptized? How, what do we have to do? I'm concerned when someone comes down the aisle laughing and skipping, it's usually more legit when they come down weeping. Amen? Recognizing, you know what? I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Josiah is the king over Jerusalem, over Judah. And they've gotten so far away from God and he's crying out, I don't know what to do, help. Lord, help. And watch what happens. He says, great is the wrath of the Lord. He heard what the word of God said. In Leviticus, he heard this. I will lay cities to waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation or enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished by it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. These are exhortations that came when they were outside of God's will and he knew they were outside of God's will and he knew the wrath of God was coming and he wanted to know, is there anything we can do to stop it? Is it too late? Final point. Know that God is always faithful to his word. So here's the word of God. It stirs him up. Verse 14. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to, to Hilda, Hulda, the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harvest, keeper of the wardrobe, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. 
How many of you knew that there was Huldah, the prophetess, in the Bible? That's why we read the whole book. Can I get an amen? Now, what's amazing is Jeremiah was alive and a prophet. Zephaniah was alive and a prophet. There were other prophets, but God chooses to use this woman who lives in Jerusalem, and it could be because she was nearby. I don't know. But you know what? I love that God can use any of us. Can I get an amen to that? And he chooses to use this woman who's available, and God's going to speak through her. Watch what happens. Then she said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the words of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Woe. Here's one thing about delivering the word of God. We don't water it down for the audience. Amen? He wanted to know what was going to happen. And he said, because of the wickedness, all the vile things you've done, because you've worshiped false idols, God is bringing righteous judgment. It's coming. I didn't want to hear that. When you talk to somebody who's realizing, well, okay, I'm a sinner. What's going to happen if I, what do I have to, well, right now you're headed to hell without Jesus. People say, oh, you don't preach hellfire and brimstone. I'd rather preach it than have someone experience it. Amen? And we can do it in love, but preach it with boldness. Amen? What would you do if somebody was falling off a cliff about to catch on fire? If you have to grab them up and jerk their arm out of the socket to get them up on the cliff, you'd do it. Can I get an amen to that? Too often we're just tiptoeing. I don't want to offend them. What's offensive is eternity burning in hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen? We need to be, so here's, she's telling, she just brought it straight. Here's what's going to happen. Now watch what she says. Let us finish up. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was what? Because your heart was tender and you what? And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, says the Lord. So when we're in a position where we're crying out to God, he hears us every single time. Amen? No suffering is wasted. No weeping. There have been times in my life where I've been on my face, typically crying out on behalf of, of someone in my family that is struggling. Cried out a lot for Mark over the years, prayed, and God d- delivered him and gave us more time with him. But the point is that when you come to that place of desperation, you're just crying out to God. He hears you. Amen? Josiah was praying, crying out to God, tearing his clothes. God saw him. He gives the word to this prophetess that wasn't in the room and says, the Lord saw you. The Lord heard you. Right now, if you're going through a tough time and you're crying out to the Lord, I want to encourage you. The Lord sees you. He sees your tears. He hears your prayers. He loves you and he wants to come alongside you. Amen? And he wants to deliver you from whatever it is you're going through. But but we need to be tenderhearted and humble ourselves before him. We don't make demand. You don't see Josiah going, okay, God, you better get your act together. No. No. 
Lord, help. And that should be our heart. Tender-hearted, humbled before the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will what? He'll lift you up. The calamity's coming, but notice what he says. Watch the grace. Watch the, the blessing that he's going to pour out. He says there, Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back the word to the king. Here's what he says to Josiah. Josiah, the righteous judgment that I proclaimed has to happen. I already proclaimed it. It's going to happen. But because of your tender heart and because of your humility, I'm going to wait till after you die for it to happen. You're not going to see it. You're going to finish ruling and reigning on the earth. And once I've gathered you unto myself, unto your fathers, unto your people, then the righteous judgment will come. Now, you might say, well, okay, but then his grandkids and his kids. But you know what that gives him? An opportunity to minister to people until he goes. Amen? Gives him an opportunity to, hey guys, righteous judgment's coming. You need to get right with the Lord. I'm telling you it's coming. Isn't that the same message we should be preaching? Righteous judgment is coming. I and mean, if we just sit back and hang out in the world and watch the world go by and watch people on their way to hell without Jesus and say nothing. We're going to be accountable for God one day. Aren't you glad someone told you about Jesus? I can't wait. I'll tell you what. She's got to be third in line behind the Lord and my son, Mark, but I can't wait to hug Mrs. Green, who led me to the Lord in 1968 at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And I was only five, four and a half, five years old, and I still remember it clearly. I remember her praying with me, giving me a little white Bible, making sure I understood it. Going home that afternoon, my dad was painting our garage door yellow. I told him about how I gave my life to the Lord. I still remember it clearly. And praise God for someone loving us enough to tell us the truth. Amen? Pray for divine appointments. Pray for an opportunity. You know what? Before he died, though Josiah died in a battle, there were three ways this was true. He died before a great spiritual disaster in the exile of Judah. He was gathered to, to his fathers, to where his, you know, the people that were, had known the Lord before him went, who went in peace. And he died in God's favor, even though by the hand of an enemy. He was being faithful to lead his people when he died. You know what? One of the things my dad and I used to say to each other all the time, I've shared this with you many times, we'd always say, finish strong. Every conversation we had, that's how we ended it. I'd be driving between sales calls, I'd be, and I, I would talk to my dad every day, and boy, I miss those conversations. And I'd pick up the phone, he'd always, you know, how you doing, son? What are you teaching on Sunday? What, what chapter are you in? Whatever chapter I'd tell him, he'd be outlining it in his head. Oh, yeah, that's a chapter. Oh, that's great. You know, it's a great point in that chapter. Yeah. And he'd talk to me about the Lord. And, he'd say, and then we would talk for an hour. If I had an hour-long conversation, we'd talk for an hour. And then he'd say, let me pray for you for Sunday. Let me pray for your people. What, how can I pray for people in your church? What can I do to pray for you? And he would pray for me. And he'd pray for you guys. And he'd pray. And then we would, before we hung up the phone, love you, Dad. Love you, son. And then we'd say, finish strong. And my dad finished strong. And I want to finish strong. And I want all of us to finish strong. Amen? To be faithful to what God has called us to do. Don't get distracted by the world that you take your eyes of what you're really called to do. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And Lord, help us 
to live godly lives in the midst of a lost world. Help us to be people who learn from the example we saw in tonight's chapter, growing in you, doing what is right in your eyes. Lord, may we only be concerned with being obedient to you and not being popular with the world. We also, Lord, want to have a walk that grows stronger over time. I pray that we're all closer to you next week than we are today. We continue to grow in our love and our relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that we rediscover your word. If we haven't been reading it, or if we've been distracted while we read it, or if we don't really dig deep into it, help us to rediscover the word of God, to desire the word of God more than our necessary food, as your word says. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that you always speak to us through your word. Lord, if you want to hear from you, we need to open it. Not just open it, but read it and obey it. And then finally, Lord, we know that you're faithful to your word always. So we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the truth found in your word. We thank you that you're coming back for us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you've adopted us into your family. You've given us a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We long to see you face to face, but until we do, help us, Lord, to finish strong. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...